Free quad Vancouver. Free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you once again. Non-game day version of the show, our usual Friday show here, where we'll give you our players of the week and who we got in the penalty box, all that good stuff. Fantasy draft update. We'll even update our master's picks. But there was a practice today. So there is something to talk about in terms of the team today working. Big news, I don't know, and I'll say this with a question mark. Anthony Beauvillier, nothing because he was late for practice. Anything there to uh, be concerned about? No, uh, I'm not quite sure what the story was there, but uh, certainly when practice started, there were three guys wearing white jerseys. Andre Kuzmenko was one of them, and that was sort of the story. Oh, Kuzmenko, he's been dropped down to a line with Sheldon Dries and Aiden McDonough. Yeah. And then at some point during practice, a fourth white guy appeared, and that was uh, Anthony Beauvillier. So a little straggler to practice. But yes, noticed originally that Vitaly Kravtsov, coming off his goal against the Blackhawks, his first goal as a Canuck, came out in a red practice jersey, and that's generally one of the top lines. And so I thought, okay, that's interesting. Let's see who else is wearing red. So it turned out Elias Pettersson and Connor Garland. And after practice, Rick Tockett did mention that, you know, he's just looking for offense. He noted. Even though they beat the Blackhawks 3 nothing, I mean, don't get fooled. Those are the Blackhawks, and they scored a, an empty netter at the end. So really a 2 nothing hockey game. And we know against Seattle and Los Angeles before that, they are head you know, been some struggles to generate. And and we've talked about the fact that like, Quinn Hughes has gone three without a point. I know that's not a big deal, but for him, it's it's worth mentioning. JT Miller scores his first goal in seven games last night into an empty net. Elias Pettersson is picking up points here and there, but he hasn't had a, a massive outburst in a while as he creeps closer to 100 points. So I think I understand where Rick it's coming from. This is the time. Four games to go. Why wouldn't you experiment? So we'll see if they line up this way on Saturday against Calgary. They know. There's just no way around it. They are going to get the Flames best. What that ultimately looks like, it wasn't enough to beat Chicago the other night, but it was enough to go into Winnipeg and get a win. If you thought Calgary was desperate when they were here to start the homestand, their playoff lives <laughs> hanging in the balance of this yeah. thing. So it kind of sets up, you know, interestingly from a Canucks standpoint, the last time the Flames were here, and it was only just over a week ago, Akito Hiroshi hadn't played yet. Cole McWard had not made his NHL debut. All of a sudden, we're talking about this desperate Calgary team coming in here. And the Canucks are younger and more inexperienced now than they were at the outset of the homestand. So that's a different dynamic to all of this. I thought it was interesting at practice today. Adam Foote was really the guy in charge, that he was the one at the whiteboard. He was the one that was barking the orders, running the drills for the most part. They're not, you know, laying into these guys with four games remaining. It wasn't a taxing practice. And then it was kind of funny afterwards, just before Rick Tockett met the media, I casually said to him, he said, that it? Is that your final practice? I mean, you look at the schedule here, game on Saturday, travel on Sunday, games Monday and Tuesday, and then they wrap up in Arizona on Thursday. So potentially Wednesday, but really, are you going to practice your guys ahead of game 82? And Rick laughed and he said, yeah, yeah, probably is it. I, I should have skated them harder. So it was a fairly brisk practice. Ended up with a little mini Nets game there where they bring the two Nets together and confined spaces and away they go and the losing team i posted a picture on twitter they yeah, had to do the push-ups there so there was a punishment uh, for the team that uh, came out on the short end of the of the mini game <laughs> i like the honesty from rick Tockett sometimes because you caught him off guard with that question he was like yeah actually now that you say it i think this actually might be and then he had that little joke there as well here is the head coach though you expanded on it a little bit but here he is talking about the reasoning behind mixing up those lines. Yeah, and you know, when you move sometimes guys around, some guys get opportunity, maybe they get a little more energy. You know, we just need, need to try to instill some more energy. So sometimes you do that as a coach, you know, give some, give, you know, some of the leader guys to play with other guys and maybe pump them up a little bit. So, yeah, there, there's there's different w reasons why. It's not, it's not always punishment, but we do have to get more offense. Absolutely. Why not at this point? And a player like Kravtsov, who, you know, it's, you think has often an offensive game in, game in him, like maybe this is a good this is the right opportunity for him right now. Got to see it here if they got something because they're going to have to make a decision what they're going to do with him moving forward as well. So why not give him this opportunity, especially since the wells sort of gone a bit dry offensively for the Canucks? Yeah, and I think too that Kravtsov doesn't get this opportunity without playing the way that he played against sure. Blackhawks. Yep. And again, low bar Blackhawks. He scored a power play goal that bounced in off Seth Jones. Let's not mistake it for skating end to end and, you know, making all kinds of moves. And, and it got a bounce and it went in. But it was more, it was the five hits. It was just the fact that he was involved. You know, if he had had another crappy game, pretty good chance that he comes right out of the lineup. And instead, he's getting a promotion. So I hope that he looks at it that way that, hey, like my decent performance on Thursday 
clearly got the attention of the coaching staff. Now I'm getting a chance to play with Elias Pettersson. And we know that just about everybody that Petey has touched this year has had some sort of Elias Pettersson bounce. For Kuzmenko, we've seen this yo-yo thing with Rick Tockett. Tough love. You know, he scores last night and then he comes to practice the next day and he's he's down on the on the fourth line, essentially. So, you know, when Bovillier wasn't on the ice, they had 12 forwards. And I thought, OK, like maybe Bovillier talking had mentioned the other day that he's been playing through something. And I thought, OK, those are the 12 forwards they've got, but he will have a decision. They've got 13 forwards here on the roster and available to him. So uh, if Bovillier plays, somebody will have to come out tomorrow. I don't think they'll have a morning skate the way Rick Talk has generally done it is. They practice and have a full practice the day ahead of a game. Then generally they take the morning off. So may take until warm up on Saturday to see who's in the lineup for the home finale. Um, but they only have six healthy defensemen. So the guys that they used last night against the Blackhawks, they're going to come right back with them. And again, this will be a great test for some of those young guys. It'll be a good test for the veteran guys too, because I, I just I think you're going to see the Calgary Flames try to impose their will. Uh, you know, they know the Canucks aren't playing for anything. They'll probably try to get the early jump. Remember last time here, they fell behind 2-0 and had to claw their way back and were playing with fire, pun intended, when Huberto scored the power play goal late and then ultimately Toffoli won it in overtime. They don't want to leave it to chance into the late stages. They would love to be able to get all over the Canucks and you know sort of take any doubt out of the night early. So I would think that you're going to see the Flames basically try to run the Canucks out of the rink tomorrow night, and we'll see how into it. The Canucks are for their home finale with nothing to play for. So I think it's going to be an interesting sort of measuring stick for a team that has nothing to play for in the Canucks against a Calgary team that has everything still to play for here into the final week of the season. And we talked about it on the postgame pod last night, but this is the game of importance for them this year. Like, like think about it. how many games have they played that you sort of circled? I, I can't think of one right now. That's the way they started the season. They never spent a day above the playoff bar, if I'm, if I'm correct. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking at the start of the season and I'm thinking to myself, like, did they ever spend day one above the playoff bar here? No, because they lost their opener and then they lost their next, I mean, they lost seven in a row right off the hop. So no, they they were never above the playoff bar, not for a second. And look, we spend a lot of time in this business talking about, oh, they can play spoilers and they can. I just don't know if that is motivation. Like, I don't know if the players will show up tomorrow and think, you know, if we win, we can eliminate Calgary. Maybe, maybe some of them do. If it's me, I'm thinking, I know that the Flames are going to bring it. I better be ready. We as a team better be ready because there's professional pride. Like it's your, remember the home opener? Who can forget the home opener? Jerseys were being thrown on the ice. I mean, the Canucks were embarrassed in their home opener. Yeah. Let's hope that it's not a bookend here and they get embarrassed in their, in their home finale as well. So I think Rick Tockett and his coaching staff will have them prepared, but like the Flames were desperate 10 days ago when they were here and they outshot the Canucks. Shots were like 40 to 16 for Calgary that night. And then the Canucks had six shots in overtime. I think they ended up with 20 on the night. But the Flames certainly, I imagine they take a repeat of the process in which they dominated the Canucks. It's just that they gave up a few too many and it took them till the end. Again, they don't, Calgary doesn't care if it goes to overtime again. Like, yeah, they just want two. Yeah. They just, yeah, they yeah. need to leave town with two points. And it'll be interesting to see because they'll know by the time the puck drops at Rogers Arena what's happened in that game in Winnipeg between the Jets and the Nashville Predators. All right. Well, Tyler Myers was asked about the importance of the t- tomorrow's game. And here's what he had to say I think it's good for our group. Um, like you said, it's not, we're not in a position that we like to be in, but um, given the position they're in, we know we're going to get their best. And, you know, this time of year, you know, these, these are the games that you want to play. Um, you know, it, it might not get us to the playoffs, but, you know, it's a chance for a group to, you know, show that we can play at this level and, you know, you know create a little momentum coming into the next year. Yeah, and it's, it's, I'm curious to see, you know, exactly what each individual sort of gives in this game. Because if you look at it in terms of, you know, every player, they all got different things that they're sort of playing for, right? And, you know, is everybody going to give their all here, knowing that their summer is ahead? And, you know, if they just keep themselves, you know, unscathed, then they can get themselves into training for next year. So be interesting to see exactly, you know, what they, like a collective bunch, what they give. Yeah. And let's take a guy like Tyler Myers, for example. There is so much talk about the bonus that's going to, you know, what's it? Is this his final game at Rogers Arena yeah. as a member yeah. of the Vancouver Canucks? And that's not like a complete media, you know, trying to drive storylines. Like it's a very possible 
scenario that this is it for him. There's games to go on the road here, but we know that this team has talked about clearing cap space and turning over the defense and all that kind of stuff. And, and he's got one year left on his contract and the way it's all shaping out when shape shaking out, when he gets the contract, the, the bonus paid out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's quite conceivable that this is the final time that Tyler Myers will throw on a home Jersey. Canucks wearing black, by the way. And it was just funny in the locker room after practice, they practiced in all their blue stuff, which I thought was interesting because a lot of times they've got guys that are breaking in and we talk about the young defensemen that haven't worn the black jerseys yet. So a lot of times guys will try to break in the gear ahead of time, but they wore blue. And then after practice, the training staff wheel in these two massive carts and they just pop the tops and there was all the black gear. Like, it was just kind of cool to see the way that the, the train, I don't know where they store it when it's not in use, but in come these two big, basically bins on wheels and the lids come up and there's all the black pants. There's all the black gloves, all the equipment, the goalie equipment. And, and then the training staff was arranging the locker room as we were in there. So back in black one last time tomorrow night. Uh, it's a fan appreciation night. They're going to hand out their awards tomorrow night as well, even though there are games to go after the home finale. But throughout the game, they will hand out the annual year-end awards for the Vancouver Canucks. So we'll uh, find out who is taking home some hardware. Elias Pettersson, of course, uh, are trying to get himself to that 100-point mark. Rick Tockett reached that during his playing career and was asked about that after practice today. It's a nice milestone, for sure. Um, you know, I mean, I play, I play with Muriel at Mew, so. <laughs> I just went to the net with my stick on the ice. I mean, uh, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, it's a nice milestone. But the thing is, you, you can't look for it. You just got to let it organically happen. Because sometimes if you try too hard, it usually doesn't happen. So hopefully he just plays the game the right way. How would PD have looked on that Penguins team? Yeah. Uh, not the one that we won the cup. Yeah. I'm trying to think. He might be a... No, I don't want to say four, five, seven. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a pretty good team. Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty good team. <laughs> Mario Lemieux had 160 points in 60 games that year. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> Kevin Stevens, 111 points. Rick Tockett, 109. Ron Francis, 100. Jeremy Jagger, 94. Larry Murphy at 85 as a defenseman, like unreal team. But yeah, again, listen, we haven't seen it very often with the, of the Vancouver Canucks. Hasn't happened many times in franchise history. Feels like it's one of those things that's shifting in the NHL nowadays. I think we're going to see a more hundred point guys, but really this is the evolution of Elias Patterson and something that we've been talking about all season long. The hope was always there with the fan base. But now it is truly unfolding in front of our eyes. Like this guy is emerging as a superstar. Yeah. And people that have listened to Rinkwide for a while have heard me say, oh, man, I hope it happens on the homestand. And there's still a really good chance that it can and it will. But if it doesn't happen tomorrow, I still think he'll get there. He's got four games. He needs two points. But if you look, he's had one point in three of the last four games. Like he hasn't had a big night in a while. And I think it would be just really cool. I think it would be a great moment for the fan base. There haven't been enough of those this year, quite frankly. I think it would be a, a great moment for him. Even if it's happening more around the NHL, offense is up. It's 100 points, man. Yeah. Like, that's a milestone, and nobody can take that away from you. So, yeah, I think he gets there. It's just a question of when. And I do hope that it happens on Saturday in the home finale, because I just think that would be a, a special moment in what has been a pretty forgettable season. But I wonder if he's kind of hitting the wall a little bit just with the amount that Rick Tockett has used him here. I mean, Quinn Hughes, obviously fighting through strep throat. You know, again, his production hasn't been there. A lot of it's the power play too, right? Like the power play, that top unit has just gone a little quiet. It would be nice to see them rise up on the on the final night uh, of the home schedule because that's a, a way that both Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson can rack up the points. But, you know, Petey's just gone a little bit quiet here. And then to put him with new line mates, like, Will there be chemistry? Will that be, you know, a work in progress? How does he get those two points that he needs? Uh, I guess it'll be interesting to see uh, how all that unfolds. Uh, what about the deep pairings at practice today? I forgot to ask you about that. And he, obviously there's only six guys. Yeah, so no, anything change? I mean, they're trying to forge chemistry. So Myers and Hiroshi seem like they're going to remain a pair. As much as the city has kind of fallen in love with Akito Hiroshi, you know, it's one thing to play against the Chicago Blackhawks. Like, again, like if you've got Milan Lucic bearing down on you tomorrow night or any of the Calgary Flames, like I think they're just going to bring it and try to finish every check that they can. So this will be a great test. Like, you know, and look, the Flames aren't even a playoff team at this point. There are much better teams out there, but 
it's going to be great to continue to observe Hiroshi. We've seen him of three games and it's looked really good. You know, Cole McWard's got his feet wet now. He's got a baseline, even if it's a pretty low baseline because it was the Blackhawks last night. So I'm sure his eyes will be wide open. He was with Ethan Bear again and then uh, Quinn Hughes with, with Kyle Burroughs. Those are your six. And I think those are the pairs, the way that they will shake down uh, on Saturday night. Tyler Myers has been paired with Akito Hiroshi for most of Hiroshi's time on the ice. He was asked about his play, and uh, he had some high praise for the youngster. The thing you notice right away is his poise. Um, for a guy who's, what is it, three games now? Yeah, for a guy that's played three games, he's playing with a ton of confidence. He's making confident plays, especially like, especially if you look at uh, even just breakout plays that he's making. Um you know, trying to help him out as much as possible by talking to him. And it's it's great to see. It's great to see him step in and do so well that quickly. Yeah, like we talked about on the postgame pod as well, just the importance of somebody with the price tag that he'll have to be able to have him in your lineup and well, hopefully in the lineup next year. That's what the Canucks hope. But what we've seen so far and just what, you know, Tyler Myers is saying there as well, like, you know, this guy is impressing not more than just the fans, but also his teammates. Yeah, and one of the things that we didn't get into postgame last night, but I thought it was a fascinating comment by Rick Tockett, was his observation that Akito Hiroshi uses the net as his friend. And what he meant is he's done a really nice job, you know, fending off defenders and getting in behind the net, sort of like a, a safety zone in your own end so that, you know, you can create some time for yourself, whether guys on your heels and try to use the net as you go in behind it, or, you know, if you have to retreat in behind the net and then try and, you know, look off a guy. And that's, that was kind of a cool observation, to, you know, the way that already this guy is using the net as his friend. So uh, some of those little things, like I remember the first time I saw Quinn Hughes in a Canuck uniform, and I thought like, this guy just takes different angles as he goes back for pucks than other guys. And, you know, again, it just spoke to the confidence that Quinn Hughes had, sort of how polished he was already coming out of university and and just how skilled he was. And at that young age, you know, he just took different paths when he was going back for the puck and, and it was part of his escapability that served him so well and still does all these years later. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're all in the same boat, even the coaching staff and teammates are learning about Akito Hiroshi, but it's playing a rave review so far and with four more games to go and no healthy bodies around, you know, I think he's going to continue to get the games here right through the, the finish line. And, and so that's fun. I mean, that's, you know, you kind of ask yourself after every game, scratch another one off the schedule. All right, there's four to go. What's left to watch? Well, obviously, Pedersen and his 100 points and Quinn Hughes. How far can he push his totals? Kuzmenko, the same thing. JT got to 30 goals last night. Um, You know, he may add a couple more, but he's not getting to 40. But then it's the growth and the development of some of these young players. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of curious to see how a guy like Hiroshi handles a a heavy forecheck. I'm sure he's going to see from the Calgary Flames. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, poker tips, sports odds, and free casino games. It's time to play. Let's stick on Hiroshi for just a moment here, although somebody uh, tweeted at us saying, boy, you guys talk about this Hiroshi guy a lot in the podcast. <laughs> at this point of the season, like, there's not a whole lot, you know, and when you have a player like this that comes in, yeah, he's going to get a lot of airtime because he's very intriguing. But uh, it was centered around our poll question today that we put out at Rinkwide Van. And I know that we talked about this a bit on our post-game pod, so I kind of wanted to put it to the people as well. It says, has Akito Hiroshi already moved ahead of Jack Rathbone on the Canucks blue blue line depth chart? Overwhelming right now, close to a thousand votes, 82, almost 83% of people 
are saying yes. And I want to read some of the replies here. Uh, Jamie says, hell, he's moved past OEL and Myers at this point. <laughs> I don't know about that. Nathan says, a real question, has he moved above everyone except for Hughes, Heronic, and Bear? And Chris says, yes, he's a better player. Jack is a great skater and has a really good shot, but the guy can't defend at the NHL level. level. He can barely defend at the AHL level. And just taking a look at Jack Rathbone right now, J-Pat, you know, just 11 games this year with the Canucks. So a disappointing season for him, just the two points. Point per game guy last year in Abbey, you know, 40 points in 39 games. But this year, just 12 and 32. He turns 24 in May. And as we know, Orosi turns 24 this weekend. Now he does have one year left on that one-way contract that he signed. Does Jack Rathbone at 850K. But it is very interesting to see exactly what this guy is going to become for the Canucks. But also at the same time, too, you do have another year with him. And also, as we've seen in this NHL, like you need depth on the blue line. So maybe he becomes that guy and just sort of fighting for, you know, his NHL life come training camp next year. Yeah. Look, Jack Rathbone seems like a really good guy. I hope it all works out. I hope he has a, a long NHL career in front of him. But when you get to 24, as he's about to you know. It's kind of now or never. And so, you know, the best thing for him might just be don't worry about the fact that you're back in the AHL now and that there's games going on and Akito Hiroshi's on the scene. You know, finish this season in Abbotsford as strong as you can. And like, hopefully that means a long playoff run for the Abbotsford Canucks and that you're a part of it. Uh, you know, just take what you can out of what's left of the AHL schedule have a huge offseason, the Rick Tockett summer plan. And as you said, with a year left on the contract, as long as he's still in the organization, if he comes back to training camp, you know, I don't know internally what they've got in terms of a depth chart. But yeah, I mean, these two guys are the same age. And, you know, Rathbone's been a pro, obviously, longer than Hiroshi. But so much of it, I think you have to read into the way coaches use players. And we talked about it post-game, but I wrote about this at the Hockey News as well in my post-game pat-down that I'm doing after every game here. You know, when we finished up with the podcast, I started to look a little bit closer at the usage of Hiroshi last night. You know, 20 minutes and 30 seconds. Like, that's not an insignificant amount of time if you're a veteran, you're a youngster playing your third game in the NHL, you're up over that 20-minute mark. And I get that it's the Blackhawks, but dig a little deeper than that. Two minutes and 20 seconds of shorthanded time. Two minutes and 13 on the power play. So they're using them on both special teams as well. And, you know, Rathbone certainly wasn't used as a penalty killer. He got a little bit of power play to duty. But, you know, I think there were some questions about his defensive acumen, undersized. I know Quinn Hughes has been able to be part of the penalty kill at his size. But, you know, they seem to have no hesitation whatsoever with Hiroshi. But just remember that 20 minute and 30 second total from last night. So I went back and I looked. I mean, that's more than Rathbone has played at any time in the NHL this season. But it goes way deeper than that. Christian Wolanin hasn't played 20 minutes and 30 seconds for, a Canuck, for the Canucks this year. Guillaume Brisebois, what do you think a 25-year-old guy with the experience that he's got at the AHL and, and you know, body of work in the NHL as well? He hasn't reached 20 minutes and 30 seconds in a game. Travis Dermott, in the few games that he played this year, didn't get that high. Noah Juleson or Tucker Pullman way back when. So has to tell you something that they see enough out of Hirose right now that they're willing to continue to roll him out there and, and give him every opportunity. So let's see what Saturday night brings. But, you know, the poll question, yeah, without intel of what's going on internally, I would have to think that, yes, that you're probably already seeing a little bit of a, a shift on that depth chart in front of our eyes right now. Hockey IQ, man, that you really can't teach it. He definitely has it. You talk about the you know, the usage of the net. I mean, that's right out of the Quinn Hughes playbook, right? We've seen this before. So you got to you gotta love that from him. Listen, give me a percentage that he is in the top six next year come opening night. You know, Rossi. Without knowing what their plans are in the offseason, like, I still think if they are trying to boost this defense core, and I know that they've been linked to Gavrikov. But is he a boost agent, to it, do you think? An NHL, like a legitimate, experienced NHL defenseman? Yeah, I still think that there's room there to bring in a guy that can, you know, look, Quinn Hughes is undersized. Hiroshi isn't the biggest guy in the world. I still think Rick Tockett wants the board battlers, and I think they would like certainly one heavier guy on that left side at the very least. And then who knows what the right side looks like. Hironic for sure. You know, is Ethan Bear back? I mean, that is a fair question. Like, I just don't know. I don't know what 
Rick Tockett thinks of Ethan Bear. I'm not even sure management, like, you know, he's arbitration eligible. Um, he's been all right, but, you know, he doesn't move the, the needle a ton. You know, like, he skates well, he's mobile, but there's next to no offense from Ethan Bear. And I just think you got to be careful. Like, a time where this team is up against it with the cap still, I, I don't know that they're in a position to overpay on a, you know, this is where we come back to this. Can you go and find a discount version of Ethan Bear who may not quite be at his level, but is nowhere close to his price point, but can still deliver? What's Ethan Bear cost? What do you think next year? He's at one eight right now. Right, RFA, so they control him. For a year, but then you're buying up UFA years after yep. that, and yep. that's going to cost you. And and certainly he and his agent recognize that. Right shot guy, there's a premium there. So uh, I, I don't think it's going to be as cheap as some people might want to believe, especially if you're going into those UFA years. You know, I, my guess is that he's looking for something that starts with a three, and I don't know that the Canucks can afford to go there. I wonder if they play the waiting game with him, try to wait him. A 2-5 to me seems to be the right price, but I don't think you're getting him at 2-5, not for extended years, right? Well, again, though, he's arbitration eligible, so you can't really play the waiting game with him. I oh, mean, that's, that's true. Just, yeah. A decision yeah. has to be made at yeah. uh, some point. So, uh, you know, is there a qualifying offer made? can't imagine that they walk away from him, no. but yeah. but then it starts to get dicey. And if you leave it in the hands of an arbitrator, you know, when you look at how many guys, you know, the Canucks have run through this year, just how much ice time Ethan Bears ended up playing at times. He's been with Quinn Hughes. You know, I think his camp would use all of those types of things to uh, his advantage. And again, accounting stats are going to work against him because there just there isn't a whole lot of offense there. And for a guy that does skate reasonably well, you'd think that he could get up into the rush and, and chip in on occasion with a little bit more. But yeah, I think that's going to be a fascinating case study. And just think the the worry is we've come through an era of way too much overpayment for guys that under deliver for this hockey club. So can the Canucks find a way to either make that contract work? Like, could you go longer with Ethan Bear? Do they want to go longer with Ethan Bear to try to bring the the AAV down? But again, you go longer, you're it's more UFA years, and that's where the price comes into it all. So yeah, it's going to be a fascinating watch here uh, in the off season. I think something we do know is that you can't have a left side that is Hughes, Hiroshi, Rathbone. That ain't going to work. No, no, no. And what about, what about Hughes, Hiroshi, OEL? Would like, would, or would you, you know, hesitate to even have OEL in there? Well, just the cues that I'm picking up, and I'm not certainly reporting anything here, but, you know, Rick Talkin himself has talked about this gleam in OEL's eye about the work that he's going to put in the offseason, and they think that there's still something there. The $20 million it would cost to buy him out. I, I'm i expecting that OEL is going to be back, and I think that they are hoping that somehow they can rehabilitate this guy, play him with Philip Ronick, and maybe you just ask him to sort of do what he did at the start of last season, which was with Tyler Myers, just focus on defense. Don't worry about the offense, that Hironik's going to come and bring some of that. And, of course, you've got Quinn Hughes, who's driving play all the time. I mean, best-case scenario is that OEL... Not that he finds a fountain of youth, but that he somehow finds a way to keep up with the speed of the game. And maybe with Hironic, as a partner, you're spending less time in your own zone. Uh, I'm anticipating that OEL is going to be back and that they are going to look at him as a partner for, for yeah, Philip Hironic. Because I just, a third pair guy making what he's yeah. making. And if you're a third pair guy and it's not working out for you, the next stop then is, you know, out of the lineup. Are you going to healthy scratch him? It starts to get, uh, you know, a little dangerous in that regard in terms of, you know, just the amount of money that he is owed. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these are all massive organizational questions because we're wondering about OEL and where is he in terms of, you know, his career and can he be rehabilitated on a team that, you know, we're going to hear an awful lot when they arrive at training camp about being a playoff team again, you know, that this is the year of Demko stays healthy and that they're going to have their design, you know, their eyes on, you know, add Philip Ronick and look out, that's going to help the defense and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, like I don't, I don't know where OEL fits, but I'm not anticipating a buyout. I, I think that no, uh, me neither. I think he's coming back. Yeah, I think so too. I just think with the one more year, really, and just the way the cap, we talked about this on a past pod. Like it just seems like the dollar figures just make sense to try to ride it out one more year, and that's a tough ride. It's going to be, but hey, maybe Rick Tockett will have that, you know, Rick Tockett summer that he keeps talking about, and all these players will come back and be able to rebound. Uh, before we pivot off the defense, though, there is still. Tucker Pullman in the mix, right? There is still perhaps Travis Dermott in the mix. Interesting to see what the Canucks uh, make a decision on Travis Dermott because they could walk away from him. He's an RFA 
after the end of the season. Yeah, and he has kind of been the forgotten man in all of this. Like, yes. I just don't, I don't ever see him around. I, I don't know. I don't even know if he's still in town, quite frankly. Tucker Pullman, I mean, it's been a lost season, right? He played three games early on, and even at that, one of them, he didn't make it through the whole game. I just, I can't imagine. I mean, I my guess is that he's seeing specialists and doing whatever's necessary to, you know, push through this and and hopefully find a way that he could resume his career, but he's just got a life to think about. And when you miss almost an entire season, you know, it's not unheard of, but it's pretty unlikely, I think, at this stage that he's going to be able to be a full-time National Hockey Leaguer again. And so that contract probably gets moved to to long-term. You know, in in my mind, he's not part of this year moving forward. And I think he would have to really surprise some people to prove that he's overcome these issues. Because again, it wasn't just here in Vancouver. There were migraine issues in Winnipeg. You know, this is something that he's has been battling. And it's unfortunate. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, is he the perfect player? No, but he's an NHLer and he had earned this contract. And I know that people didn't love the contract, but I just worry about the human being. Like he's got a lot of life to live. And obviously it, it has to have sucked for him all year to basically be on the sidelines. So yeah, I can't imagine that they're, banking on him being available to them next year. And I certainly don't think that you could pencil him in and think, yeah, summer off, he'll be fine. You know, when he shows up at training camp, it's all going to be good. Canucks went down this road with Michael Furland and had injuries. Every one of them is different, uh, but it's, you know, there's no joke, obviously. We know that knowing what we know about head injuries now and just the ability to step in and play hockey at the highest level, you have to be 100%. And it just kind of feels like at this stage for Tucker Pullman, it's unfortunate, but yeah, my hunch is that we've seen him for the final time in the NHL, but look, I don't want to rule him out, but that's just kind of my my gut feeling. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. All right, let's get to our uh, our Bodog Masters picks here. Because uh, we, as we record this right now, the Masters is in the second round, but there's a delay. There was a couple of just fell on the course. Nobody was injured. So uh, thank goodness for that. But I want to tie this into hockey in a certain way. So right now, you have Shaw. We both picked Corey Connors as our Canadian, so he's out. He's at plus eight. He looked like me on the course today, uh, so he's out. I'd love to be plus eight, but, but uh, <laughs> Team J Pat, Scotty Scheffler, and Xander Shoffley, you're at dash two collectively. They're both at dash one right now. Yeah, I took Cam Smith and John Rom, and Smith is at dash two. Rom is at dash nine, so I'm at dash eleven right now. All four guys are going to make the cut. Do you think that of our duos that we have left, and I probably have the best shot at this, but you never know what could happen, that either of us will reach minus 24 as a total, which is OEL's plus minus, which is the worst, or could you say the best on the Canucks? <laughs> uh, 24 seems unlikely. The right? weather is yeah. supposed to turn. It already has. As you said, trees are falling. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 24 seems like a long shot, although, I mean, Brooks Kepka at 12 halfway through, but as we see, the the Masters doesn't start till the final nine on uh, Sunday, and generally, uh, you see guys kind of race out to an early lead. We've seen this lots of times, and then the yeah. weekend, you're kind of, you know, holding on, essentially, see about the weather conditions, see about pin placements, and those types of things, so I'm not expecting the scores to be outrageously low over the final 36 holes, but... Uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, Corey Connors, that's unfortunate. I mean, the guy wins last week, and yeah. and you thought he's in form, and I don't know if that cut into his preparation time, or maybe, I don't know, I say overconfidence. Guy's one of the best ball strikers out there on tour, and he, you don't win one week and then forget how to play, but yeah, he came in with high hopes, obviously, and I saw some of his comments, like he, he was pretty disappointed in himself, obviously, that uh, he couldn't pick up. Hey, it's one thing to win the Valero. It's a different to, yeah. to you know, get it around uh, Augusta, certainly uh, when the wind was up. And so, yeah, a little disappointing there. 
Yeah, not many guys win in Texas and then head to Augusta and take it again. Uh, so Rom right now at plus 200 is the betting favorite amongst the guys that we have. Uh, Cam Smith at plus 8,000. Scheffler at plus 6,600. Xander Shoffley at plus 10,000 right now. But these are the odds as we record this. Uh, they'll probably change. Who knows, though? Maybe they might not get back to play uh, today. They are running out of daylight there in Georgia. All right, time now for our Players of the Week and who we got in the rink-wide penalty box. It's presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at jason.mortgage. I'll let you go first. Who you got as your POTW? Uh, going up the board a little bit, uh, I'm going to go with Connor Garland. And I think I've been hard on Connor Garland. I expected more just in terms of goals and overall production. I know that lately he's been a third-line guy, and that sort of eats into some of it, but gets the bump to play with Elias Pettersson. At least he did at practice. We'll see if that's the way it goes on Saturday night. But in this week, if you think back to the game against Calgary, open the scoring when he picked the pocket of Michael Backlund and raced off, uh, snapped one past Jacob Markstrom. So he scored a, a nice goal against the Calgary Flames. Then he had that setup for Anthony Bovillia against Seattle the other night where he came racing down the right side and sold the shot. And Martin Jones bought it and then slipped it right across. Has a point in three of the last four games. So, you know, it didn't go nuts offensively, but contributing, chipping in, and even last night picked up the po- nice cross-seam pass to Kravtsov, and then Kravtsov scored to the power play. So, again, I just, he's left me wanting more in both of his seasons as a Vancouver Canuck. Yes. But I kind of thought in a week when, you know, we talked about the struggles of the top-end guys, I thought the hustle was there. And for Connor Garland, he was able to leave a little bit of a mark on the score sheet. So I'm going with Connor Garland as my player of the week. This is one of those times where it's eye test versus, you know, underlying stats. And right now the underlying stats don't look kind to Connor Garland, but I agree with everything that you said. Like, I feel like he's out there generating. And then I look underneath the hood and he's not, at least what, what it's telling me. Um, but at the same time too, like, again, you can't always go off of that. And I think that Connor Garland has definitely been leaving you wanting more this year. But I think as of recent, uh, there has been more from Connor Garland. So I'm with you on that pick. I like that one. With Connor Garland, this is going to come to no surprise to anyone that's been listening to this podcast over the last couple of episodes and that person that tweeted at us about Akito Hirose. You talk about him so much. Akito Hirose, that's my player of the week. Uh, three games played. Of course, he had those two assists. We talked about the 20 minutes that he played uh, last night. The game just doesn't look too fast for him. And that's really the key when it comes to these NCAA prospects that come into the league. They talk about, oh, with the speed of the game, he's there. The underlying stats are a concern, though. If you look underneath the hood, they're not great with Akito Hirose. He spent a lot of his time playing with Tyler Myers, as we know, so it can be chaotic at times with Tyler Myers on the ice. But I like what I've seen from Akito Hirose. We've definitely unpacked a lot of it already here on the podcast, but he is my player. Yeah, and again, if you think we're talking about him, we're not alone. Like, there is a buzz in this market about Akito Hirose, which I think speaks to sort of the low bar you know, what else they've got, but also what else there is to watch here in this late stage of the season. And so he has been good. And again, let's see what he looks like over the, the final four. But uh, an NHL debut, first couple of NHL points, those are all like feathers in the cap to uh, Akita Hirose, but been a rink-wide player of the week. My goodness. Yes. This time last week, he wasn't even in the NHL. And here he is, rink-wide player of the week. So good on him. He's going to go celebrate tonight. Uh, in the penalty box this week, I've got a rarity, J-Fat. Quinn Hughes. Oh, all right. Four games played, just the one assist. He's gone three without a point, and we talked about that already. He hasn't gone more than three games all season without a point, so he's got to get one against Calgary. The underlying stats are below right now, but they're not really all that concerning with Quinn Hughes, I don't think. This is big, though. He needs four assists in the final four games to reach that elusive 70 assist mark that only a handful of defensemen in NHL history have ever reached. Now, there's a newcomer to the list this year already in Eric Carlson. I'd love to add a second in Quinn Hughes. He's really the only other guy that can get there amongst NHL defensemen. Want to see him reach that mark. Needs four apples over the next four games to get there, Jay Pat. Want to see Quinn Hughes get that done. I hear you. I mean, it's hard to put him in the penalty box, although he was in there last night with Athanasiu in the headlock and so spending more time in the penalty box. We need when he was out on the ice, though. That's uh, he's, he's more used to the Canucks on the ice than in the penalty box. But, you know, it's, you go back and the games on that last Southern California road trip Anaheim and LA and they won both those games and then they came home and they played Vegas and they lost to Vegas but Quinn Hughes had two assists in each of those games so six helpers over a three-game span 
and it just looked like he was on the launch pad. 70 was for sure. And he's gone kind of quiet. You know, we talked about playing through illness the other night, playing a ton. And you just wonder if all that's catching up to him. The power play has gone cold. Like there are factors here through it all, though. You know, it's this bottom line that we want to see that game against Vegas on March 21st. That's his last multi-goal or multi-point game. Now he had or sorry, multi-assist because he had three points in St. Louis in the game that went to overtime. But but in terms of he's an assist machine, and you got to go back to that game against Vegas the last time that he had multiple assists at a hockey game. And yeah, it would be nice to see him finish up with a bang at home. Just a lot of the same things that we said about Elias Pettersson early on. It's been an incredible season, but look at you. Put Quinn Hughes in the penalty box. Just a minor. Just a two-minute minor. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. I mean, we're going to take, you're going to put one of the stars in the penalty boxes. I'll do the same. JT Miller. Yeah, the empty netter to get to 30 last night, but two points in four games. And the walking off the bench at the end of the second period the other night after missing the breakaway against Seattle, you know, that became a, a talking point. It kind of blew over. But still, like, other guys on the team aren't doing that. Other guys miss breakaways and they just take their seat on the bench and, you know, take your lumps. So didn't like that. He's been so much better under Rick Tockett with the outbursts and the body language and all that kind of stuff. But it's more about top end production. Uh, Yeah, you just you've come to expect more from JT Miller as we have from Quinn Hughes. So in a week where you know they were tested by Seattle and by Los Angeles and Calgary last Friday night. You know, these are teams that mean business. And right now the Canucks, sure. I mean, it's one thing to beat Chicago three zip, but I think the real measure of the Canucks over the past week has been their performance against these other teams. They've been outshot badly. They've been outplayed badly. This team's best players have been good all season, but they haven't been at their best over the last week. So I'm going to put JT Miller, minor penalty for him. We'll put him in the box as well. I agree with you to put him in the box right now. One of the things, though, that I wonder about JT Miller is I wonder if the fans really give him enough credit because as we've talked about just that you know the production that he's had since he's been a Canuck is second to only Pavel Bure now again the listen I shouldn't say the sample size isn't small right because he's been here for a while now but at the same time too it just feels like he's really underappreciated the totality of what he's done everybody always has to qualify that 99 point season go oh yeah but right and sure it might be the outlier season but as we've seen, he's maintained a point-per-game player since he's been a Vancouver Canuck. So I think that is something that a lot of people don't give him enough credit for. And I also wonder, too, when people you know say, like, well, we got to get rid of Miller in the offseason. We batted this around. like, So then you're going to fill your 2C and your 3C this offseason. Now, maybe they that. do that in a trade, yeah. right? Maybe that happens in a trade with Miller. And maybe you know it works better for the core that they're trying to put together. But right now, JT Miller... And his production would be a massive hole to fill if they were to move off of the player. I think it tracks back to the day he was acquired and they gave up a first rounder and people, that's not his fault. Like, you know, he was an asset that was moved by the Tampa Lightning and they found a a team that was willing to part with a first rounder. And I kind of think that right from that moment that it just kind of framed, like, you're right, he's come in and he's been incredibly productive. You know, have they gone to the playoffs? No. Once they got invited to the bubble and, and he was yeah. good in the bubble. But, you know, since then, obviously the big seasons haven't led to the postseason for any of these guys. Elias Patterson, 100 point season, and it's not going to get them to the playoffs either. But it just kind of feels like JT Miller started behind the eight ball in this market because people were upset with that management group for peddling a first round pick where the Canucks were in their competitive cycle. And it just didn't feel like the right move. You know, it felt like the kind of move that a, a team that was one piece away from going to the Stanley Cup would make and where the Canucks were obviously was nowhere close to that. So, you know, I think that's kind of worked against them. And then, yeah, some of the outbursts and whatever. I mean, I, I think this team could use a few more pricks on it, quite honestly. Like, yes. you know, I, I'm not sure that there's enough fire on enough nights. And when the going gets tough and some of these playoff bound teams we've seen, like, I think you need a few more guys that are willing to, to, to wear their heart on the sleeve and and I'll take again I, I didn't like the Colin Delia thing in Winnipeg no and I didn't love him yeah. walking off the bench the other night but I'm all right with guys that show a little bit of fire out there on the ice like I, I think the Canucks could honestly use a little bit more of that I don't know that this team has enough edge and they're not going to the playoffs so we won't be able to measure it this time around but you know if they're in that boat this time next year um you know that's one of the things that 
Rick Tockett keeps talking about, you know, winning all these battles and the four check and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you're not always going to score the pretty goals. You need guys that are going to muck it up and grind and do all of that. And so these are all questions for the offseason about, you know, roster composition and, and what are they lacking? What does management think they're lacking? But for the most part, I'm okay with JT Miller and, and sort of the, you know, just the, yeah, he's an emotional guy. And I think he's done a better job under talking of reining it in, but I don't want him to be neutered entirely. Like, I think that's what makes him effective kind of along the lines of uh, what Ryan Kessler brought to the mix here, you know, yeah, during his time. Absolutely. And a lot of people like, like to dump on the last management group and they made a lot of questionable decisions. But I mean, we talked about the pro scouting. That's one that they hit on. So, you know, that's something that, listen, you want to crap on them all you want, but that is most definitely one that they hit on. I hit on my fantasy draft this year as well. Let's get to that. It's presented by Delaney's OK Tire, Fraser Highway, and Langley. Going to be going to see Brett and Clayton pretty soon here. Get my summers put on. It's getting to be that, although it's puking up in Whistler this weekend. Team Wadden right now at 192 points, had an eight-point week. I am ahead of you by now 13 points. You had a three-point week. You're still just riding Andre Kuzmenko. I've got Horvat Hughes, PD Miller, second half. You guys all know how we did this right now. So. It's done and dusted. I think I've got an idea who I want. I've been sort of batting around three charities that uh, I think that I want you to uh, uh, donate to, but at the same time too, J-Pat, I'm going to match it. So I'm just, I'll let you know, but uh, by the end of the season, I will match your donation as well. But again, I three in mind and I'm just trying to figure out exactly which way I want to go. I'm going to lose this one, I think, but I, I don't know. We'll see. It's the Beau versus Beau, Beauvillier versus Horvat. We had a bet who would get more goals when they uh, went to their new teams. Beauvillier, of course, acquired from the Islanders to Vancouver. Beau Horvat headed to Long Island. Right now, Beau Horvat, which is just crazy to think, trails Anthony Beauvillier by two goals. It's 9-7 for Anthony Beauvillier. Four games remaining for the Canucks, three games remaining for the Islanders. The Islanders, of course, looking like they're going to be a postseason team. I shouldn't say of course, because... Things are still not set there in the wild cards in the East, but uh, Bo Horvat only three games left to get me two to three goals to get ahead. If we tie, then it's nothing. Nobody's eating that damn chip. It's okay? a push, That's yes. Yep. yes. No, we All agree right, on so. that. And I just want to mention too, I'm glad that next week will be the final update on the fantasy draft. It'll be it. The Canucks are done and I won't have to hear about it, but you're right. You won. I'm prepared to admit that. I'm ready to, you know, e-transfer. I was going to say write a check, but nobody writes checks. So, I will make my donation. We should also, and that's very generous of you to match it. And we should also mention Dan reached out on Twitter at the outset of the season and said, I love that you guys are doing the fantasy match again this year. I'll kick in a $50 donation to the yes. charity. And we challenge all other listeners that are in a position to do so to do the same. So we know that Dan's on board. We thank him for uh, listening and for supporting the, the fantasy draft all season as well and maybe some others will slap a few bucks down and we'll see what we can do for uh, the charity of andrew's choice okay so i will have that ready right after the uh, final the final game of the season so on april 14th which is the day after uh, the last game of the season i will let you know exactly which charity i have chosen lastly here we have some did something uh, hashtags gift certificates to hand away for we got four of them. Hashtag feel the burn in the 5-4 OT loss to the Flames. Hashtag crowned by the Kings in the 4-1 loss to the Kings. Hashtag fading fast in the 5-2 loss to the Kraken. And hashtag stop them all in the 3-0 shutout over the Blackhawks. Want to say congratulations. And a few of these guys are repeat winners. So congratulations uh, to Shelby Kuhn of North Van, Alex Morchese of Delta, Chef Swagger from Langley City, and Ray Lee of Vancouver, you're taking home $25 to BC's Best Breakfast. Check them out at the Dutch.com. Good weekend for it as well, being that it's uh, a long weekend. Yeah, and uh, thanks to everybody that's, uh, you know, congratulations to all the winners picking up the, the Dutch gift card, but thanks to everybody that's uh, listened and, you know, acted, uh, you know, reacted to our call to action, I suppose, taking part in that. And, yeah, I mean, going to pregame, postgame, every game. So we'll end up giving an 82 away. When all is said and done, one year, one year, maybe they'll play some playoff hockey and we'll be able yeah, to uh, that would extend be. that beyond the 82. But no, nah, it's thanks. It's a, you know, we try to have some fun on the post-game pod, and I'm glad people have reacted the way that they have and, and thrown the hashtags into the inbox. So congrats to everybody. 
is what, speaking of fun, it's the home finale tomorrow night. Uh, it's supposed to be fun. I know that the season hasn't been a ton of fun for a lot of Canuck fans, but the dog races are back one last time among the things that they've got going in the home finale tomorrow night. First intermission, the dog races, and uh, that's kind of become a, a fun feature. Rogers Arena, and of course, we mentioned this on the postgame pod, that uh, it's John Garrett's final home right. game, uh, working with John Shorthouse on Hockey Night in Canada, and I think uh, some strings were pulled there. I'm not sure that that was initially the assignment, that the two Johns were going to get this game, but uh, the right decision was made. So, yes, there are still three road games to come, and they'll work those, but this will be the last time that Cheech is working in the broadcast. It may not be the last time that he's in the broadcast booth. They may be around next year, you know, at some games, whatever the case, but John and John together, final Hockey Night in Canada game of this season for the Canucks and a big one for the Calgary Flames. So I hope, I hope that the Canucks, you know, take, they're going to take it seriously, obviously, but I I hope it's a good game. I hope that it kind of lives up to the hype of, on the Calgary side of things, obviously there's not a ton to play for if you're the Vancouver Canucks, but you have to be ready to match whatever the Flames throw at you. So uh, let's see what they look like. Game 41 of the... uh, home schedule and i mentioned a little earlier game one against buffalo no bueno that was no good resulted with resulted in fans throwing jerseys on the i don't think i shouldn't say that i hope that weren't past that but uh oh please be past that yes fair enough yes all right let's see what saturday night brings you know after the first guy does it you're just showing off really at that point right like the point was made where the first guy did it so but hey it only took 79 games for the canucks to play a game of importance right so looking forward to that one again the bar's Pretty damn low. Pretty damn low. All right, we'll be back. Uh, yeah, tomorrow pregame, postgame, every game. Uh, we'll cool. also check out our socials. We'll give you our picks for the uh, Canucks uh, year-end awards. Check us out over on Instagram. If you're not following us on Instagram as well, to go go over there and do that. We always got some good stuff that we put out there, and of course, follow us on Twitter as well at Rinkwide Van, and of course, check out JPAT's articles on the hockey news every post game as well. All right. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember Rinkwide is the show. It always goes.